And then there's other brands that double down on their values, they know who they are, they create identity and belonging and associating with them. Then it's an identity thing. Now it's a part of who you are and a part of the value you share. Brands that are doing that, it's not so noisy now. You know, I think people love to be sold to when you are actually solving a problem, when you really know what it is that they are thinking and what it is that they're concerned with, and they've opted into that experience some way, somehow. Welcome to the Social Complex Podcast, where we are diving into the complex impact and influence of social media on brands, brains, and the bigger picture of our modern world. Here's your host, Hillary Applegate. Welcome back to another episode of the Social Complex Podcast. Today, we are joined by Nisa and Tabari. Nisa and Tabari are the husband and wife duo behind Ginger and Carrot Productions, a creative agency that specializes in commercial photography and creative direction. They are also the hosts of the Sensitive Business Podcast, a space where they have conversations with other creative professionals on how they're able to be their authentic selves in the work that they do. Nisa and Tabari love high vibe energy, bold colors, and creative partnerships with trailblazing brands that think outside of the box. In this conversation, we get into the meat of why it is that Nisa and Tabari started their company and who they are working with, the stories behind the scenes of creating content that pops on social media feeds, and the value and importance of aligning with your true mission and self to be able to grow your organization in the circles that you want to. Let's get into it. I am so glad that we connected and your visual story, your Instagram, everything is so colorful and bright and you two are just bright and radiate shine. (laughs) So I am so excited to really dive in and talk a little bit more about the bright side of brand and social media. So before we get into it, I would love to start by having you introduce yourselves and your journey about how you got to where you are today. Oh my God. How should we do that? Should we go? All the heavy stuff. <laughs> I mean, story. it doesn't have to be heavy. <laughs> <laughs> it's just funny because we were just having this huge discussion this morning about mm-hmm. what felt aligned for us in terms of the work that we wanted to be doing mm-hmm. and like why we started Ginger and Carrot Productions in the first place. And we've taken all on source of projects this year because we were trying to figure out what felt good Mm -hmm. and what kinds of clients we would like and what kinds of pay made sense. And it was like, I'm the type of person, like some people can really be in the wrong situation and kind of be fine. Mm -hmm. Like if I'm in the wrong situation, I will have a meltdown. Mm -hmm. Like I cannot you know, none of these jobs I've had, it lasted for Can't too confirm. long for that reason. <laughs> and so it, it's interesting because it's very top of mind, like what got us here, which was our passion for food, our passion for bright colors, storytelling, our passion for empathy, and also being anti-culture. And working with people that are doing things 
a little bit differently or a lot differently. And Tabari can tell you how he got started because his version of the story is like really interesting from our, our first photo shoot with Little Bear. Yeah, I guess to do the intro. Like, so my name is Tabari. <laughs> that is Nisa. I was talking, FYI, my who doesn't know. Um, we have a commercial product photography uh, company called Ginger and Carrot. And we started during the, during the pandemic, like so many other people. So many others. <laughs> and it was, I had a lot of time on my hands for the first time in my life. Well, two things, time on my hands and the bills are being paid. You know what I mean? Because it was, I had an unemployment at the time and I had a lot of time to really think about what I wanted to do and get in touch with my, my passion and my bliss. And Nisa was doing the same thing and she was going to do photography for a, for a restaurant in Atlanta in Summer Hill called Little Bear, south of Jarrett. Love them. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> she was going, I had just gotten a new tripod because I was working on like a short film of my own and she needed some help with the tripod. And so I decided to tag along and we started shooting together. And long story short, we said, we have to do this more. And <laughs> we, <laughs> we figured out slowly but surely how to make that a reality. Um, as we did, did the free work, did some like bartering stuff just to kind of like build that confidence up. Because even though we haven't done, we've been doing photography for most of our lives, we still felt like beginners, you know, it's still like, because it was like a hobby and not a profession. And sometimes there's always that like feeling that something that you're passionate about is might not be the, like our brain could trick you into thinking that because you're doing it, it's not that hard. It's not that special. And we really had to like chip away that slowly, you know, and for about a year later, we officially started the business with the bank account and all that stuff, like getting registered and all that good stuff. The boring then, stuff. Yeah. yeah. The boring stuff. But stuff the I was stuff. Like months later, they were like, are you guys like registered as a business? And I was like, you've already paid us three times. Like, how <laughs> we, where do you think the money went? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So we started that. And then that was August 29th of last year officially started the business, um, got our EIN number and all that stuff. And we left and we were were originally going to leave our jobs in about May after Nisa's birthday and like one last trip. Um, But then we found a coach who basically was like, why wait? (laughs) Let's start doing now. And so through that coaching program really got the foundation for our business because beforehand we were kind of basically essentially freelancers, even though we didn't want to be freelancers, essentially freelancers. And then to put things into place to like charge a certain amount and to start moving a certain way and how we approach sales and everything. We end up, I end up leaving in March, March 11th. Um, and Lisa ended up leaving at the end of May. She's waiting for like extra bonuses coming through from her job. So we waited a little bit of time, but, and that's when we like took the plunge, took the leap, you know, bet on ourselves. Like, and it's been, it's been a, a journey <laughs> so far. So yeah. we've been in business over a year now and that brings us up to date now. That's amazing. I love it so much. <laughs> Everything that you just said, I immediately thought of something that I heard recently on a podcast. And that was that not everything that you do for money has to be your passion. And mm-hmm. it was this idea that people have fallen into this idea and this dream that you need to chase your passions. You need to chase your dreams. If your job is 
draining you or just like it's not aligned with like your true value that it's not worth your time. And I I have seen more on the other side of it, which is do a great job and do something that you're really good at, but you don't have to be so passionate about that. And what spoke to me about that was that as a entrepreneur and starting your own business, you have to open up your bank accounts. You have to have your EIN. You have to have it saved somewhere so that you can refer to it at random times. You have to pay random taxes. Like there's very, there's a lot of nitty gritty things that come with owning a company and scaling a company that I think that a lot of people think like, oh, passion, passion, like that's all you're following. But it's really, there's, there's a lot to it. So how do you guys navigate the parts of your business that you're not as passionate about coming from such a like passion driven mission? You know, this is such an amazing question because we're exploring that right now. We recently just did our um, Clifton Strengths Finders assessment. And we found out like what our natural talents are. And my top five are relator, communication, activator, ideation. And there's one more that I'm blanking on. Honestly, that's like the best I've ever been able to rattle them off like that. That was pretty good. (laughs) And it's like we look for the ways of operating each component of our business in a way that's aligned with our strength. So if we're selling, we have to sell, in, in my case, I have to sell the way a relator sells. I can't sell the way, Tabari's top strength is input. I can't sell the way that an input person sells. And when you do things that are aligned with your strengths, because your strengths is like things that are easy, natural, you do it without thinking, you get this like timelessness with it. And you would do it anyway, like you would just naturally kind of do that. And if the things in my life are operating in that lane, then it does feel like doing what you love. I always say doing what you love is actually such a small part of it because I love photography. I love creative direction. I love being creative, but there's all these other things around it, like you said, So, and that has to happen. Like we're not at a point where we're on like a four hour work week, like Tim Ferriss. It's like, we're still doing a lot of those things, even though we do have the support with our team now. And so by doing those activities in line with our strengths and the things that we naturally are talented at and naturally enjoy, then it feels like the whole thing becomes more of like, oh, I'm doing my passion every day. So it's, I feel like the passion is not necessarily a thing that you're doing or the service that you provide. The passion is really about how you do it. So even if I never left the tech industry, which was my previous career, had I had found a way to do it in a way that was aligned with my strengths, I probably would have seen much more success in that. I probably would have been very fulfilled in that. It's the how, because the what changes with like technology, availability, the market, and all these things that are actually out of our control. But if you do it in an aligned way, then now you're living your passion. Like Then now you're getting that feeling that everybody talks about. Yeah. No, I love the way that you phrase that. And I think it's really important 
I think it's impressive that you came from a tech background and now you're into entrepreneurship and creativity full time. That's just, I think, a, a very different world. Um, although tech people might say that they're very creative, but who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I won't I won't throw too much shade to my techies because I love them dearly. But what were your biggest creative inspirations growing up? Because I feel especially like entrepreneurs in general, we have moments when we were younger where we were like, oh, something something's a little bit different here. And then as we get older, we're like, oh, that's like that little fire that's burning and that we need to go and, you know, chase after. Was there a moment for yeah. you that was a creative inspiration for that? For me, um, for me, it was, hmm, how about this? Well, my, my father's entrepreneur. My father has been an entrepreneur my entire life. I know that he worked for a company when I was, when I was young, young, but I don't remember that. My entire life, he's been an entrepreneur still to this day. Now, while he hasn't like scaled the business or done like what we do, we're like getting a coach and investing and like get, building a team where we're scaling and trying to get like, take it from hobby to a business back into a hobby. So I can like hand off this stuff to someone else and I just show up if I want to shoot and someone's handling day to day. But I always thought that I would be an entrepreneur. I don't know how it would get there. You know what I mean? Because he does, he's a, a tree climber. He, loves, he takes down trees and we've always been like helping with that. We have a, lot, have a lot of siblings, all boys, and we've been working as long as we could be working. And there's always housework and chores and lawns to be cut, all that stuff. So it was, it was always like on the table, but at my, um, my perception of it and like how it's scale and what would be possible for someone that close, someone like me, like my father, who I shared your name with, I didn't really see how you got from there to a million dollars in revenue in a year. I didn't see how you scale to, to build employees. I didn't see how you scale to like pay the taxes. And I did try a bit, you know, I like, um, I tried when I'm in my early twenties to do the same thing he did. You know what I mean? Got made some money and did some stuff there too, but it wasn't really like it didn't really resonate and I didn't get the next step. It wasn't until we met, me and Issa met, and we started to figure some of these things out that I leaned into entrepreneurship more heavily. Cause even before then it was just like, I would love to have the freedom, like the time freedom and to not work for somebody else and do what I want to do and to be creative most of the time and like feel good and everything. But I didn't see like how it was possible. And it's, I don't like to say anything good came out of like the pandemic, but it was, it did give me a lot of space to really sit and try to find out what that was. Cause even before this, um, during the pandemic, I tried to do um, a QA. I learned like SQL um, coding language. So like try to figure out how to do that in a tech. Cause Nisa was like, you don't have to work so hard for money. You can probably make 70 K at this place and like, you know, be done at five. And I was like, Hmm. Cause I was food service until then, just food service and always taking on more and more responsibility mm -hmm. with the same pay, <laughs> you yeah. know? And so that's kind of where it came from for me. And that's like, so when I, when that wasn't working either, when I was like, mm, I think this, I could do this, but I think it's something else. And around the same time, Nisa was having the same like revelation. And so we kind of pivoted at the same time. 
I love it. And I don't think our listeners know y'all are married, right? Yes, we're married. <laughs> so not only do we have, we're going through it at the same time, but you're married living through the pandemic, which a lot of marriages did not survive. Did you get married before the pandemic or after in the middle? We got married during the pandemic. We Same. met right before the pandemic. Oh. And it was like, so what are you going to do? <laughs> it was like very like shit or get off the pot. And like <laughs> up until now, like my dating history was very like reflective of the age and generation that I was at. I was like me and my friends would like meet on a weekly basis to talk about how trash dating was. Like, that was yeah. like... And then all of a sudden Tabari was like, hey, I'm here. Let's date. <laughs> And then the rest is history. Yeah. (laughs) That's amazing. And it's such a huge life change. And I think, you know, Tabari, you talking about your family history and your exposure to entrepreneurship at such a young age, like I feel that that was my parents, both entrepreneurs. Um, And I think that seeing it firsthand, um, it just changes the way that you grow up in the fact that you've seen somebody hustle for their own work and like not just come home with like a cushy job or like a stable job, even a steady job. And then you being in food service industry grind of an industry Mm -hmm. and then meeting Nisa and Nisa going through the same thing, you guys getting married. I mean, opportunity meets inspiration i mean it just it's such a story of kind of how worlds collide and opportunity strikes and you just take it and not everybody can do that not everybody Mm -hmm. can get out of that comfort zone and their bubble of here's what i do and i i will say this i've seen met a lot of people that get into entrepreneurship thinking that it's going to be like you know what they see on instagram where it's like make 30k a week Blah, 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 buy my course. I can do it. Here's my Maserati that I rented on Turo. And that's like, (laughs) that's not the reality of it. Like the first year is a shit show. The second year is a little bit less of a shit show, but on a bigger scale. And it's like to be able to step into that and commit to it and do it alone or alone with like the support of a spouse, which is what my life is. It, like that's drastically different. To do it together, you guys are a different breed. It's amazing to me. <laughs> and I have to ask, how do you navigate being married to your business partner? We go to couples therapy. <laughs> oh, heck yeah. Pro therapy. We are pro therapy. So pro therapy. Tabari and I like... Which is so funny because I've always wanted a creative partner and never had it. Like, and because it's like, what are the chances? Like, you know, a lot of people complain about having like the Instagram boyfriend and things like that. And it's like for Tabari and I, it was never like, could you take me a picture? It was like, that's a great angle. You should stay right there and don't move. Like, that was like how we connected. So it was in hindsight, it's like, duh like of course we create together but at the time it seemed like we had figured out we like cracked the code because 
it we found out about each other's creative skill sets very organically it was yeah. like randomly through dates and stuff like that we'd be like let's go on a walk and i'd have my camera with me and then we would look at the pictures and he'd be like wait <laughs> hold on you know or like he would like make a short film and i'd be like wait you edited that like it's like yeah it's just our skills were like popping up and then when we worked together and put our skills together it not only happened, but it was like so easy to get there. It was so easy. But then, of course, like you said, all the other things around the business, like all the not fun stuff. So we were like, let's get support. I was like, I don't view therapy as something's wrong. We have to go and fix it. We have to figure this out and fight for the relationship. I was just like, right. I'm, a, I'm an A plus student. You know what I mean? I'm, <laughs> and I like to be. I like to be at a hundred. And I was like, I want a plus communication. I want a plus support. So we went to couples therapy to learn tools. Cause for me, it was not modeled, you know? And I was like, I don't know anyone who has a relationship like ours. I don't know anyone else's relationship that I can honestly look up to and say, this is what I would love. Like, or this is like, a great example. I didn't have that, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I was like, well, let's build our own thing. And when you're creating something from nothing, you need support, you know? And I was recently re-listening to um, one of the many business books that I consume on Audible. And I heard this quote, which is that the truest definition of entrepreneurship is to take um, very little economic means and expand it to like abundant economic means. And that is just like the basis of what that means. And so with that definition, so much of us can say that we're entrepreneurs. You know, if you take something and you grow it, that is the definition. And there is so many aspects in our lives where that was the case. Like mm -hmm. we took our vision of a happy relationship and a happy family and we grew that even though we've personally I know Tavari might say the same like like there was not an example of relationship like ours mm -hmm. and then same thing with working together it was like well we have to and be imaginative and be creative and figure out what this could look like and that's what we do and it's a lot of like these are my feelings and I would love if instead you asked me the question like this like it's a lot of like conversations like that but then when it flows and it's easy it's like all of that inner work is like so worth it because we're really kind to each other and we hold really safe space and other people like to be around us and that's like that's what it's for. I love it. Tavari, do you have anything to add? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no. Um, In this couples counseling. Yeah, podcast. I wish, I mean, I, I wish that it was always so like, hey, could you do this? I wish it was that simple sometimes. But, you know, it's, it is that, it is, it is us having to really trust each other. And while my parents are still together and, I don't think necessarily had like a toxic, but I don't know if it was like the happiest relationship. Like I didn't see, you know, we always look for things that we didn't get as child. It's like I didn't see my parents really affectionate or them have like that 
closeness. You know what I mean? I didn't see them like holding hands, pet names, you know, signature laps, sitting next to each other. You know what I mean? And kind of being cute. And so when I got older, I knew that I, like I had to have like I, I, that's what I, my priority was. I want to be safe. I want to be kind. And it, it it took going to counseling to really be able to like model that because even though I wanted these things relationship, I had no like you go back to what you know. Mm-hmm. And so my prior relationships were probably close to what my parents were. I mean, even though we were affectionate, there was probably just like a lot of that. Not probably. There was definitely a lot of confusion around certain things, and I would model my father's behavior and of course this like we talk about tapping to emotions the whole the whole like i've had to do a lot of work to not immediately um seek to like what's the opposite of validate like disvalidate unvalidate invalidate yeah invalidate invalidate her emotions because Mm -hmm. by the time like it was easy for me to do it to her because i was doing the same thing for me i was i would also invalidate my emotions um, it was as simple as I'm talking to her and I'm turning to the, I'm turning to her and my body's face, otherwise my head's turned. I would not even acknowledge my own body's discomfort and just sit there and just like be uncomfortable. And so when someone else was voicing discomfort or something like that, it would sound like they were complaining. And I would immediately be like, you don't have to complain, yada, yada, yada. And that like, we kept bumping heads on that. And this is why we had to go to therapy because those things were like, that stuff like builds up over time. Yeah. And you'll start to build resentment and whatnot. And then we can't have that. Like a therapist told us, there's three master classes in life. One is disease. Two, entrepreneurship. Three is being married. <laughs> so we're like <laughs> two for three over here. So we had to be Drinking like you just said. from the fire hose. <laughs> <laughs> we are the fire hose. <laughs> so how have you had a chance to see how your learnings from your relationship work and your marriage, how that has translated into your business acumen. Has it changed or evolved how you're approaching clients or how you're talking with your team? How has that impacted your business? I think the biggest and most obvious um, for us place where it translates is to our team. Right. So all of our we have a team of mighty contractors and they're all duos, which we just we noticed them. All them. yesterday. Oh, that's so, so funny. Like they're, they're all duos. And I, I, we didn't even necessarily seek that out, but we we attract that. Um, and we tend to work with not tend to we work exclusively with women and most of our clients have been women or POCs as well. Um, and our relationship and what we do, I think there's a lot of things that we've experienced that a lot of other people would say is like totally normal and not really worth investing the time and energy of working through. Um, But we see it as if we want a life filled with the laughter that we want and filled with the joy that we want and the care, then we have to like nip those things in the bud. And I think that that attention to detail is how we approach a lot of things. I think we approach our communication that way with our clients. We approach our team that way. We make sure we work with people that are aligned in those same values as well of like 
holding a safe space where people are empowered to make decisions, where people give ideas. Like just yesterday, we were working through some SOPs for our photography, actually. And our team had some really amazing ideas and it like changed like a major portion of how we're documenting our process, right? And so it's like, we like to work with smart people. We like to work with smart women and listen to them and take on their ideas. And I think our business has hugely benefited from that. And, you know, a lot of, it's happened before where people assume that I'm not money savvy because a lot of times when husband and wife duos come together people assume like the man is handling all the financial decisions and all the like executive decisions and right. the woman is handling the creative part which I don't even know what that means because I'm like <laughs> in that first two years it's like it's all financial decisions <laughs> like and that's actually not the case for us it's like most of the a uh, way that we structure our offer and our pricing has come from like my ideas and Tabari has really helped with executing and strategy in that way. So it's really interesting what people like bring forth and their preconceived notions when we show up. Mm. But in general, it's like what we're trying to create is not only a business and an offer that is unique in the sense that it's uniquely safe, it's uniquely creative, and that's why we get the results that we get. But also anyone that comes within our orbit, whether it's that they work directly with us as a team or that we're in partnership together, gets to experience that too. And I honestly, I think that's really the best part of the whole thing. Like that's that's the part that feels the best is knowing that anyone that comes within our orbit also gets to experience like the ginger and carrot energy. I think to that point too, like we have to do so, like we're very collaborative and we're very communicative. And I, to that point again, like our communication has to be on such a good point that that's how that kind of comes, spills over to our teams and to our clients is that we very collaborative and like invite people's like opinions and feedback and make space for people to have their emotions or be sick or, you know, make sure the snacks on set for the models, like little stuff like that. Like, you know, like, like it's like, here's water and some pop tarts. You know what I mean? Like we can't like, we don't have the crew stuff yet. We don't have like all the layout and everything yet, but we, there's like, you're not going to go hungry hanging out with us and working with us. Uh, little things matter. They really do. Craft services forever and ever. <laughs> Let's talk yeah. a little bit about advertising. I want to get into your perspective of the evolution of advertising over time, because I have seen the changes in on the feeds. <laughs> I've seen the changes in branding and really, you know, I, I feel like we kind of ebb and flow to like, even before digital media with like Super Bowl, it's like sometimes some years would be really sentimental and then some years are just like giggle central. And then some years are like branding shoved down your face. What would you say right now you're seeing in advertising from a creative standpoint, do you think we're having a reckoning in creativity for brands? I think that 
I don't think we're having a reckoning. I think that what's happening right now is always happening in some respect, which is that advertisers are trying to get in front of audiences. Audiences are getting smarter about the fact that that's what's happening and they're running away from them. And then advertisers are finding more and more creative ways to get in front of them. So it can be like before phones and computers and all of that, and we were getting stuff in the mail, or you would see things at local fairs. It's like what people would do is they would demonstrate their service or their skill or their product. And you would think, oh, I could buy that. Then mail ads popularized where it's like, hey, I have this offer for you. Then like I seen on TV, hey, I have this offer for you. Now I don't even want to watch TV because there's too many ads. But look, I'm influencing you into doing it. Or look, there's a Dasani bottle like on set here. It's like all it is is that we're shifting to be able to relate to the customer um, in the way that they want to be related to or in some people's case, like they kind of force what's happening. I think that there's two kinds of advertisers. Like you could start separating them from the people that are doing things the forceful way and they're following the trends and they are caught up with, we got to get over here. Well, if everything shut down for COVID, we got to get influencers and we got to do this. And they put all their money in that. And then there's other brands that double down on their values. They know who they are. They create identity and belonging and associating with them. You know, like the apples of the world, some design, you could say things like Chanel is like that. You could say the boxed water brand is like that. Even Target, honestly, is really great with that. Right. And then it's an identity thing. Now it's a part of who you are and a part of the value you share. Brands that are doing that, it's not so noisy now. You know, I think people love to be sold to when you are actually solving a problem, when you are actually, when you really know what it is that they are thinking and what it is that they're concerned with. And they've opted into that experience some way, somehow. But when you're just trying to go where everyone's running, the stampede is going this way, so we have to go this way, then that's where the disconnect happens. And that's why the industry shifts because everybody's adjusting to like the stampede. Everybody's running this way. Few of us are hiding. A few of us are in the back and all of that noise. And then there's people who kind of know like actually like no one knows why we're running and Like, I know what's really happening and they can stand firm in that chaos and still grow in times of a lot of confusion for advertising. And I think that that's what's happening right now, where brands are really faced with the test now more than ever of clarifying and reducing that noise and really figuring out where your people are, where your audience is, and when they want to be addressed and how they want to be addressed in order to get your message across. 
I could not agree anymore. And you said it perfectly. I am going to go back and listen to this clip over and over again to make sure it is in my brain (laughs) so I can remember exactly how you said it, because that is so true. I cannot get over the fact that you said it so well, because a stampede (laughs) and standing firm in your values is exactly what companies need to do. I have this belief, and I don't know if you do too, that we are going to get to a point where advertisers are not going to be able to target. I mean, we're already seeing it to the degree that they've been able to target. Like you're not going to be able to go in and find your 32 year old woman living in this small town in Indiana that is within a five mile radius of this that makes over a hundred thousand dollars a year household income and has two kids and a dog. Like you're not going to be able to get to that level of like nitty gritty targeting anymore. And it's going to become more broad because of what you said, which is people are getting smarter about how you are advertising to us. So with Cambridge Analytica, they know that you're tracking. And with GDPR, you are having to opt in for cookies. How many people are opting in for cookies? So I think we're going to get to that point where it's like less and less and less. But I do think it's going to turn back a little bit because once, you know, 42-year-old men start getting like tampon ads, I think they're going to like pivot right back and be like, no, you know what? You can have my information. You can know that I'm a man. You can know that I'm 42 years old and I'm unmarried and I do not need this advertising whatsoever. (laughs) So I think there's like a balance there. But what I love about creativity is that it attracts people to the brand rather than going in and forcing it and saying, hi, I'm on your screen. Absolutely. (laughs) And I think people are not aligned sometimes. You can tell when a brand has no clue why they are here. It comes across like when there isn't a mission and it sounds so dramatic, but it is. It's like, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to change the way that I do something? Are you trying to create something? Are you trying to build a community? Like, are you just trying to be another person out here on Amazon? When that's not clear, it shows. Now I'm annoyed. That's annoying. But when you stand firm in your beliefs and your values and your mission, whatever that might be, that's when it's like now where we're attracting. And I think that tracking, funny you say the 32-year-old woman who makes 100K, who's in this state, in this mile radius or whatever, that's not specific enough. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not specific enough. It's the 32-year-old woman who is trying to solve this problem, who's trying to be this person, who's trying to overcome this challenge. That's how we have to go. And those people will self-identify when you start speaking to them. And then all of a sudden you realize they're not just 32. It's actually this group of people, but they all have this problem. And that's where it gets very specific. That's the niche. But when people start to just, you know, put an outfit together, it's like, you can tell when somebody has nice clothes, but they don't have style. It's like that. (laughs) Amen to that. Nisa, bring in the mic drops. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, but that that is absolutely true. You and I think that that's where it's, it's actually getting to a nice point in advertising, which is when you're putting the customer first and when you are coming from a customer-centric mindset rather than 
a, and I, I mean, I love digital marketing, done it a long time, but I always am a sucker for a really good brand because it attracts and that is significantly one, it feels a little bit more ethical to me in the fact that it's something that they need and you are solving a problem that they have rather than coming in and, you know, shoving like, you don't need this, but like, take it, you know, buy it, do it. And so I feel like there is a little bit more of like a wholesome feel to that from an advertising standpoint. But absolutely, I, I, I totally agree with you about finding your true value and leaning into it. And something that I will say is that you have all of these large brand examples when you think about killer branding and when you think about amazing alignment and storytelling, like you can spot an Apple ad from a mile away. Same thing with Target. You, they, you know, they, they know they've nailed it down, but in a world, especially a post COVID world, we have a lot of small businesses out there. We've got a lot of online stores. We have a lot of um, you know, emerging tech. We have a lot of various companies that are coming out of the woodworks who might not be placing that same value because they're like, oh, well, we don't have to worry about that because we're not Apple. We're not Target. What would your argument be to them, if any, of how they should approach marketing and where the similarity actually does lie between the small guys and the big big boys I think the similarity is with that inner work right it's like if it's just you and you're a solopreneur and you have that store and you're selling the ceramics like that means that that business is a reflection of you and your values and you're going to attract the like-minded thinkers just the same and it's going to be a community just the same So I think there's a lot of parallels. The difference is like really the revenue. And revenue means resource too. (laughs) (laughs) Revenue directly ties into resourcing. I I, I would agree with that. I think that there's something to be said about, you know, the value of self, especially in small business being reflected in the value of the company. Let's say that you're talking to a, a company that has a significant, a very high ceiling of how they can grow and how they can evolve. What would you, what perspective do you have for those sized companies from when they're getting to that point where they're starting out, they're smaller, they are a little bit more like this brand is a reflection of me, but then they start scaling and they start adding team members and they start adding, you know, revenue, streamline, like what would you give, what advice would you give to those companies that are in that transitory phase where they're growing outside of just the entrepreneur and the owner itself? I think a lot of businesses make this mistake. This happens a lot in the tech industry where they get bigger and outside voices come in and they lose sight of those pillars that they founded the company on. And they just think, I need more people. I need to be here. It's like, But you have to make sure that you're communicating that mission every at every stage and that every decision is aligned with that mission. And the mission can evolve, but everyone needs to be on board. And when we're growing and we're not using those values and your mission and your purpose as like the North Star, that's when things get lost. 
And people can hide in large companies too. People can hide and play productivity and look busy and nothing is getting done. And really the needle is moving as a result of three people's work. That happens very easily. So it's like, be clear and stay clear and don't think that because you're growing and you're expanding that you have to be somebody else now. I think that's the mistake and that's why customers fall off sometimes during those transition and you might see retention rates go down because that vision is lost. Yeah, I would agree. It's kind of the problem when people grow too fast. You know, I think it's like if you jump into something and you're doing things and you're kind of taking on like all clients and like anything you can get, like it does feel like, oh, I'm making money, I'm growing, I'm doing a thing, I'm an entrepreneur, doing my thing. But as you scale, you look, you might look back in a year or two, because those first, like those first like one to three years as a new business is literally the foundation of your, of your company. And if you're not clear on where you're going, much like relationships, you're not clear where you're going. When you look up again in three years, you know, like who's going to know what, you know what I mean? And the same way, like having systems in place. So when you bring people on, they know what to like, they know what to do. And it's a culture around that. Like there's so many times in my past jobs where I would come in as a position and there will be like the official things of what I had to do. And then it's like the actual job that I have to do that is like, not, I'm not trained for specifically or the situation. And I know they're just like certain things you cannot prepare for, but there has to be systems in place for all those things. And I think that when people or businesses don't put any time towards that in the beginning, when it's like smaller, maybe it's like one, two people, five people, as soon as you start adding people into things, you know what I mean? Like I, I have some nieces and I remember we took a trip somewhere. I think recently, actually, they all came to spend the night with us for the first time at the house. And as soon as you add like more people, the more exponentially complex and cumbersome it goes, it takes that much time to get things moving. And it's just, that's just the nature of just, that's this reality of people just being next to each other. If I want to go to the movies, I just get up and go, you know what I mean? But if I want to go to movies with Nisa, I have to consider her schedule too. Not that it's a problem, you know, but it's, it's like, it gets that much more complicated. And I think that that if you don't know where you're going or don't have things you're looking out for, like Nisa said, like those values and what your kind of end goal is and where these certain things are, then you'll find yourself in somewhere you don't want to be. Or as an entrepreneur, you came to entrepreneurship so you could be happy and fulfilled in what you do. And I would hate to build a million dollar business that I hate it. Yeah. (laughs) It's so tragic. Right. The whole point of getting into your own role and into your own company is so that you don't have to do something you don't like. And all of a sudden you're like, whoa, what am I doing? I think having that retrospective is so key. Like Tavari and I had a conversation about this this morning is like, okay, we've recently took on more work than we ever have. What did we learn? How did that feel? I think a lot of people ignore the feelings. And the feelings is the most important thing. We're human beings. That's all we have is our feelings. That's all we, we make all our decisions that way. Even our logic is rooted in our feelings. Everything we create is because of how we felt about something. So really, I would advise anyone in a leadership position, a leadership role to instinctively look and say, how am I feeling? How is my team feeling? 
And if it's not how you want to be feeling, the results are going to reflect that. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I want to go to the specifics and what specific tips can you give on how to onboard the right way? Because tomorrow you were hitting on that a little bit as far as when you bring somebody onto the team and then they all of a sudden have different roles, there's ways for them to really get integrated into the team and make sure that as you're expanding to Nisa's point, they know the culture, they know the standard that you are operating to. What are some key specific tangible items, tasks, uh, integrations, <laughs> what do you do or what would you advise to make that a thing? I can talk a little bit about what we did and we're specific. Um, before we made our first hire, we did, we basically look at each other like we were the first employees, like we we're the first hires. And so we had to find our individual roles. You know, like if, if we're shooting, are we both shooting? Are we both styling as well and creating that, that separation and like defining the roles that you have and the, and the roles that you want to have. And I would also suggest actually sitting down and typing out your systems. And by systems, I mean like everything. So if I, for me, like editing the podcast, right? So all those steps, what everything, I, everything I do and taking the time to catalog each step that I do along the way. So for everything from reaching out to guests, how we talk to them, what happens to them, how we get them scheduled, how long the meeting can be, um, what we do on the call, what we do with the recordings, how we want our guests to record, how we get the recordings from them, all those steps. When you start to really s just sit down, to take time regularly, you know what I mean, to sit down and like talk about those things through and type them out, then you, you, really, you really can see like, the entire process from bird's eye view because similarly to how in my past when I was working for places, everybody did a certain thing, everything a certain way. And there was some knowledge transfer like verbally, but there's so much knowledge transfer. There's all these huge gaps in there that people don't know to do. And if I'm training somebody, like I was even training folks. I was, they had, they trusted me so much in my past. I was, I was, I was like train my replacement. And because I am the way I am and I'm a, uh, methodical and pragmatic. I had systems for everything. And of course they're taking it with a grain of salt or one or the other, because it's not the official system. They're going to, they're going to say, I'm going to do what I want to do anyway, because I can get away with these things. I would put stuff in place so I could hit things on. Like I'm extremely con time conscious to a fault sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I really try to be efficient and I would put things in place like for that. So I could, move accordingly and get the bricks that I wanted to move a certain way to be. I was, I was driving from like one place to another. So to be on a road when I wanted to be and like all these things that dictate like how I wanted to do everything to make it more easeful for me. And not everybody moves like that. And I think that if you come in with in like that intentionality and looking, looking for the future, what the next, what the end result could, would be, allowing for like change and growth and all the things that happen, you know, life happens and all that stuff. But I would say specifically your systems and actually write down your, your, your values as a company. Like we did the value work too. We just sat down and like, you know, like all things that we like, all things we don't like things that give us energy, things that drain us, drain us, 
things they were curious about, things that we never want to do. And to the point where just to really get specific, like talk about, I don't like people who waste our time. I don't like people who don't respect women. I don't like people who don't respect people of color. Like all just really get down to the nitty gritty. You know what I mean? Not everybody outside your company has to see that, but anybody who's working in your company, you, you ha they have to be a fit before they come in, you know? And it's not this like arbitrary, they're not a fit. They don't really fit the culture. And it's like, do you have a culture? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Is your culture like passive aggressive and, for my previous email situation, you know, is it, or is it like inclusive and is it like empathetic to certain things? Do you like actually? <laughs> <laughs> that didn't strike a chord. That didn't strike a chord whatsoever. I don't know who you're talking about, but that's so valuable to actually put pen to paper. And as a fellow pragmatic person, I, and know firsthand that I can easily dismiss stuff like that. And I'm also, I, I'm also an emotional person and I'm also pro therapy, but I, as somebody who can see someone who's in more of like a thinking operational role, not really understanding that and not seeing the value of that. So for both of you to come at it in not only a, streamlined way together as a unified force towards how you're going to approach the business. I think that that provides so much value to listeners who are going through a similar transition or, you know, starting to build out a team or even further down the road when they're at that point where they're building larger than they had anticipated and they're getting those external voices coming back home to the root of why it is that they got into the role that they're in. And I love that this perspective and this advice is not just for creative brands or agencies or e-commerce. It is pretty much for companies of all sizes. Nisa, your example about like the ceramic shop. Perfect. Like this is really for, <laughs> this is really for everybody. And so I think that you provide a lot of value for people that are in those perspectives, especially emerging as their own leaders to find that voice and really go through those practices, whether or not they are more on the emotional side or the thinking side, it really does not make a difference. It's important for both. So as we wrap up, because I want to be respectful of your time, and I know that we are coming to the end of our, our scheduled uh, time together. Sadly. So, so, <laughs> so sad. We can, keep, we, can, we can keep going. But I want to know from you two who have, you both have incredible vision and perspective, and not only just from a, you know, internal looking back towards yourselves personally, professionally but also externally what you're creating and what you are building with your business and the visuals and the brands that you bring to life. I want to know what are your predictions for what is going to be the future of brands creatively online in the <laughs> next five years? What are we going to see? Oh, that's such a good question. And I think about that okay. a lot. I know. We, we we always have to keep our eyes on the horizon. Like, what are we going to, like, our jobs are going to be moot point in, like, you know, next year. So five years down the road, what are we, what are we thinking is going to be popping up? I think that brands are going to be leaning more to community building. I think that there will be 
an uptick in a social media platform. You know, we all know the big four or five that we use, like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Pinterest, whatever. I think one of them is going to be bigger than they've ever been. And one of them is going to be like a thing of the past, like MySpace. I don't know which, I know a lot of people have a lot of opinions, but because there's a shift going on, that's going to change how a lot of people do business. A lot of people's whole marketing strategies on Twitter right now. A lot of people's whole marketing strategies on TikTok right now. You saw what happened to Vine. So there's going to be a shift. Um, and I think it's going to be about community because everybody's checking. No, you can't track my cookies. For sure, there will be some community-based uh, social platforms, especially as like people see whatever's going on at Twitter right now. It's, see, kind of see how these bigger industries, in the same way, at least you were talking earlier about people going to move away from the kind of generic, kind of simple, like push things pushed at you and more so things more catered to you. Because while capitalism does make what we, our purchases part of our identity, for better or for worse, and I think that as we continue going in the direction that we're going, that there will be a lot more inclusiveness, more people pushing back against that inclusiveness as, as well. And hopefully, like I, I foresee a bit of separation at some point between like these different platforms and more. And so people get like more and more, um, I won't say radicalized, more and more centralized. And hopefully it doesn't go to the point of like these like echo chambers where people don't necessarily value or listen to other people and like that. And that's like a bigger existential like issue. But as far as like creative brands, I think that there will be more springing up in, in the same way there's been so many individual brands that like coming up over the last like two, three years because of people just kind of the, the great resignation. You know what I mean? Like Gary Vee calls it, he's like, you're about the great resignation. What about the great never having a plot at all? You know what I mean? So as these younger brands, these 17 year olds, these like younger people are coming up, I think that they're going to be very individualized. But with that, I think there's going to be a lot of community because as we move forward with like metaverse or just VR stuff and just like how, how much like with FaceTime on our phones and all this stuff, like how much we do virtually to interact with people, there'll be various ways, interesting ways where there'll be certain communities built that are like engaged us. Like, like, like Discord, honestly, Discord is one of those, like, you don't, people don't hear about Discord a lot, but Discord is very community. <laughs> My, when you were talking, I was literally like, is he going to say gaming? Is he going to say gaming? Is he going to say gaming? <laughs> like, you're right there. I would agree. And with you. you know something too, when, as you were talking to Bari, it made me think about the rise of NFTs and it made me think about the metaverse and the and fall. I was going to say, what about the fall? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's falling. I think people tried it. And then I think the experts are winning and the losers are losing. And that's what happens when new things come up, but it's overall both sides creates this like normalcy of it. Yeah. But that's why I say community because now people are creating a whole other spaces. That's what the metaverse is. It's, it's a new space for people to connect. And I think the pandemic taught us, if nothing else, that we have to connect. So brands that are creating opportunity for that, I think are going to win. I would agree. And I think that there's something to be said. Both of you said community. Both of you said building, you know, the spaces for 
customers to be engaged in a way that's actually meaningful, not just transactional. And Discord and everything under the gaming sun, because gaming gives you an opportunity to play. And playing gives you an opportunity to connect with others. And connecting with others gives you an opportunity to chat. And then chatting gives you an opportunity to share ideas. And sharing ideas gives you an opportunity to find common values. And common values are a great place for brands that have values to come in and say, hello, I can solve a problem and I am value driven. And where we're, I, I, I absolutely believe in exactly what you're saying, especially knowing that, you know, we have Gen Zers that are increasingly becoming more purchase savvy, but they're also going to be, you know, the most entrepreneurial group because they can, like you said, start a business at 17. Like they're never going to have a job. They're never going to be hired because they create their job. (laughs) And then you have generation alpha that's coming right after them that are more likely to be even more like value driven and looking for a bigger meaning to what they are contributing back to society. So I think that you guys are right on the money as far as community goes and uh, gaming and connection and just that next wave altogether. But I also would agree that NFTs are probably going to have a comeback just a little bit different than what they were. Yeah. (laughs) People say the same thing about Bitcoin. I'm like, people... Look just hold on. Just, just keep holding. I, I just know, keep holding. I, I am kind of looking at Bitcoin right now. I'm like, oh, tempting. <laughs> I think it'll go somewhere. Don't sue me. That's FTC. a buy and wait long term thing. Like maybe for the grandkids. Maybe they'll have. <laughs> I know. Say love you with investing. Guys, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was so wonderful to chat Thanks with you and get a peek inside your brain. You are both incredible and have so much value to offer. Where can our listeners learn from you, follow you, and support you, and potentially even work with you? Because, guys, their stuff is incredible. (laughs) So you can follow us on Instagram at ginger and carrot prod, which is short for production. We're on TikTok as well with behind the scenes at ginger and carrot. And if you want to work with us, you're more than welcome to schedule a discovery call. Our Calendly is ginger and carrot. <laughs> so if you go to Calendly.com slash ginger and carrot, you can schedule a discovery call and we can figure out the right next steps. Awesome. Nisa Tabari, thank you so much for coming on The Social Complex. Yeah. Thank you for creating Thanks a space so we can talk us. about our feelings and strategies. Woo, <laughs> my favorite. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Social Complex Podcast. Your support means the world to me. So if you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, be sure to leave a five-star rating and subscribe to our show. We'll be releasing a new episode every Tuesday, bringing you various stories, deep dives, and discussions around the complexities of social media in our modern world. To follow along for more, be sure to follow us at Your Social HQ on Instagram or check out Social HQ at www.YourSocialHQ.com. I'm your host, Hillary Applegate, and I'll see you back here next week. Stay sane out there.